praise God. Is anybody thankful for the mercy of God? Hallelujah. Did it do anything for anybody in the house? Hallelujah. It came and it found me. It washed my sins away. It gave me a real love. Did mercy do that for anybody? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, young people. Man, they are awesome. Amen. They are awesome. Amen. We've got not only the best youth group in the entire world, but they are so talented and anointed and used by God. I don't even think some of them realize just how special they are. But I pray that you, the church, would encourage them every chance you get and tell them how truly special to the kingdom of God that they are. Amen. Thank you, young people, for leading us tonight in worship. Amen. Well, here we are again. I laid Remington down for a nap this afternoon, and I said, you got to go to sleep because we've got church tonight. He said, yes, sir. I said, and daddy's preaching, and he said, Again? I hope he's the only one that feels that way tonight, but if he's not, that's alright. I wish there was somebody else up here too. Amen. We always miss our pastor and Sister Hughes when they are gone, but it is always an honor, amen, to preach the word of the Lord. Amen. And I pray tonight that we would receive something and leave better because we've been in his presence. Amen. I pray that I can convey this word. I do not feel adequate enough tonight. I know I don't have the words enough to say tonight. I wish I would have had months and months to study and prepare. Amen. But God laid this word on my heart last night in prayer here at the church. And I pray that I could just deliver it how I felt it this much. Because I believe somebody might leave blessed if they did. But If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, begin reading at verse 6, and then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Amen. Romans chapter 5, we're going to begin reading at verse 6. It says, For when we were yet without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life not mine not my works not my abilities not anything I've done to earn it but by his life And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
by whom we have now received the atonement. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Tonight, for just a little while, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to talk to you on the subject, the Master's Peace. The Master's Peace. Amen. Can we go to the Lord in prayer right now? Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, I pray right now that you would anoint these lips of clay. God, to deliver your word tonight, God. God, I cannot do it without you, Lord. I pray that somebody, God, would be touched tonight. God, that we would leave forever changed, God. God, we need you right now, Lord, more than ever before. God, speak to your people this night. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. You can be seated tonight. The Master's Peace. The Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is a work of art by Leonardo da Vinci. The Mona Lisa has been described as the best known, the most visited, the most written about, the most sung about, the most paroded and work of art in the world. The Mona Lisa is also one of the most valuable paintings in the world. It holds the Guinness World Record for the highest known insurance valuation in history at 100 million. And that was in 1962, which is worth nearly 800 million today. Vincent Van Gogh had a painting called Starry Night. In Starry Night, contoured forms are a means of expression and they are used to convey emotion. Many feel that Van Gogh's turbulent quest to overcome his illness is reflected in the dimness of the night sky. I promise you, Brother Landon is not this smart. The village is painted with dark colors, but the brightly lit windows create a sense of comfort. The village is peaceful in comparison to the dramatic night sky, and the silence of the night can almost be felt in starry night. The steeple dominates the village and symbolizes unity in the town. In terms of composition, the church steeple gives an impression of size and isolation. In the left foreground is a curvy cypress tree, which is typically associated with mourning. 
It is painted in the same way as the sky with fluid lines, which enhances the flow of the starry night painting, well as its easiness on the eye. Now, did y'all get all of that from that picture when you looked up there? Did all of that just reveal itself to you when you looked up there? Did it just all of a sudden make sense and you said, yes, I, I get exactly what you're saying. I felt it. Something moved when you, when you read that. I just immediately was, was there. I got it. Anybody? Two people, maybe. American Gothic by Grant Wood. Or the people that I used to think were on the popcorn box. I'm not sure. American Gothic is an image of reassurance at a time of great dislocation and disillusionment. The man and woman in their solid and well-crafted world with all their strengths and weaknesses represent survivors. Again, did anybody get that when they looked up there? These, these paintings and these images that the world has painted that have become works of art that the world looks at and some have been incredibly in tune with what is going on and they've talked to the author and the writers and the painters and the artists and said, what, what did you mean when you did this? What was the purpose behind your message here? And they would explain. Some would walk up and immediately have a connection with the painting and they could sense something and the emotion that was done here. But it's much more complex if you don't know anything that's going on, which is where I stand tonight. Whistler's Mother by James McNeil. The fact that the woman in the picture was indeed the artist's mother was not the point at all. The London-based American painter had no interest in doing family portraits. Anna Whistler was a stand-in for someone who hadn't turned up. Nor was he concerned with conjuring up wisdom, age, or even mothers in general. As the picture's real title suggests, what actually drove him was the technical challenge of modulating tones of black and gray in a way that made them legible in half-light. There's something telling, too, in the fact that Anna Whistler herself never seemed to grasp that she was only there as a useful arrangement of shape and volume rather than as the subject who actually mattered. Again, had they not written this down for us to understand, we would not look at that and get all of that. Michelangelo's creation of Adam. The creation of Adam differs from typical creation scenes painted up until that time. Here two figures dominate the scene. God on the right, Adam on the left. God is shown inside a floating nebulous form made up of drapery and other figures. God is depicted as an elderly yet muscular man with gray hair and a long beard which react to the forward movement of flight. Rather than wearing royal garments and depicted as an all-powerful ruler, he wears only a light tunic. One might say this is a much more intimate portrait of God because he is shown in a state that is not untouchable and remote from man, but one which is accessible to him. I can stand here tonight and say I do not know a lot about art. 
I took just a couple of years of it in high school and I made some macaroni crafts when I was a child. But that is about the extent of my art experience. I wish I could say that I enjoy looking at all types of art and that I just waste hours going through museums and observing things that I do not understand. I wish I could tell you I knew all of these facts tonight on my own and I wrote them down myself to share with you, but I do not. But what I can tell you is there is one piece that I admire more than any others. There is one piece that shows me Opposed to the figure here with Michelangelo's creation of Adam that shows God and Adam. There is a piece that I look at that too shows that he is not untouchable in the flesh, but in the spirit no one can touch him. But one which is accessible to him, we can too go boldly before God, not because of our own abilities and our own efforts, but because of his life. That is the master's piece. The piece that he painted that day on Calvary. It was very simple for us to understand and get, but yet it was so profound we cannot wrap our minds around the love of Jesus. I am not an art guru and I can name some popular paintings. I can probably even name some artists who painted them. But there are some that to the natural eye do not seem like it has much to say. And we call this abstract painting. It's just a bunch of nothing. It's a whole bunch of colors and spaces. And some of you perhaps have painted an abstract painting. It could be like my little sister Lexus over here. And she was painting as a child and had all kinds of colors on this sheet. And I said, wow. Lexus, that's wonderful. You did a great job. Is that abstract? And she said, no, it's Meshach. (laughs) Okay. But here we have an abstract painting and we look at it and it doesn't make sense. And the next image that we throw up that is an abstract painting. It means nothing to us, but to the artist, it means everything. To the one who has the paintbrush in hand, he is expressing his emotion. He is pouring out his love and his sweat and tears. And he is giving his all in painting this portrait. Though not everyone can understand it, the artist knows exactly what's going on. There are some that look like this artist here where they just slap a bunch of random things up there and they put their signature on it and they call it art and it will sell for 800,000 plus dollars. There seems to be no rhyme or reason to it. There seems to be no message behind it. But they will stand there and say what it represents. They will tell you what it meant to them. They will tell you what they were going through in their life when they discovered it. And it and it began to pour out of them as they painted this portrait. People will go to art museums and spend hours looking at other people's paintings. Each one that was a labor of love, time and energy. They will stand there and admire the work and ask... What do you think the artist was trying to say in this picture? What does this painting do to you? How does it make you feel? 
There are people who feel things when they look at paintings. Maybe you felt something when you looked at some of these tonight. Maybe it moved you. Maybe it touched your heart. Maybe you thought, wow, that's a beautiful painting. I wouldn't mind hanging that in my house. There are people who feel things when they look at painting. Someone who knows the artist and the painting can stand and say, well, when the artist painted this, what he was really trying to say is that, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. What, what one would stand there and say is it's not really what, what it looks like. It's really a different story here. And he was lonely in that moment and expressed his emotion through art. He was going through a tragic time in his life and that is why he used darker colors to express his inward emotion. I know it happens and I am just saying that has never before happened to me. I never one time have went and looked at a picture and sat there and thought, speak to me. Say something to me. Tell me what's going on. But I do want to ask you a question tonight about another image. It's the image of a cross. What does the cross say to you? How does it make you feel? Has it become so common that people wear it around their necks and get it tattooed on their bodies and have it on a keychain hanging in their car and the cross has become simply a symbol of Christianity that we recognize and admire as a cross? Or do we look at the cross and something inside of us say, something just happened when I saw that cross. Something just moved inside of me. It began to speak to me. It began to speak volumes into my life. It's spoke a word of encouragement to my life. I know to some people it's just two pieces of wood and maybe some nails. I know to some people it doesn't look like anything different than the cross down the street, the cross hanging on your wall in your hallway. But this cross means everything to me. This cross is the reason I am standing here today. This cross is the reason my family is here tonight. This cross is the only way which I am saved. This cross is the reason we come to worship tonight. This cross is not two pieces of sticks. This cross is where my Savior laid down His life willingly and died for you and I. What do you think the Master was saying when He painted this portrait? What does it mean to you? When I ask you to look at the cross tonight and we walk by and we admire this portrait... This image of the cross, what does it say to you? How does it make you feel? What thoughts come in your mind? To me, it means that I once was lost, but now I am found. It means that once I was a dirty, rotten sinner, and I did not deserve to live. In fact, I deserve the penalty of death. But God came and robed himself in flesh. He did not have to do it. But he said, I'm going to come and robe myself in flesh. I'm going to be beaten and bruised and scarred and pierced. I'm going to have a crown of thorns placed upon my head. I'm going to do all of 
that because I love you. And no man is going to take this life. I lay it down willingly. And he laid down on that tree that day. And sat there and let them put nails in his hands and in his feet. He let them put that crown of thorns upon his head. It means that I am now saved. It means that I am redeemed. It means that my family is saved. It means there's a way where there used to be no way. It means that I can stand and rejoice today and shout because He is alive again. It means that I am here tonight only by His life. It's not just a portrait of a cross. It's everything to me. Do you get His message? I want you to notice the image of the cross He did not paint abstract. He did not paint it in a way that you had to sit there and scratch your head for days wondering, what does it even mean? I I do not understand what he's saying. I do not understand what he's trying to convey. No, he made it very simple. He said, greater love hath no man than a man that would lay down his life for a friend. He made a way that children could look at the cross and say, I know what that means. He made it so simple that other people that come in who have never heard the name of Jesus could look up at a cross and say, He did that for me. He did that for me. I I don't know why He did it, but He did. I don't know why He loves me, but He does. God did not make it difficult to understand, but He painted this portrait so that all could come to Him. He simplified without watering down because he wanted all to be able to receive. When speaking to Nicodemus, God makes it very clear in John chapter 3. He comes to Nicodemus. We throw those scriptures up, John chapter 3. He comes to Nicodemus and Nicodemus says, verse 2, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with them. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He said, I'm not going to make this difficult. I'm not going to confuse anybody. I'm not going to leave anybody in question about how to be saved or how am I going to do this. He said, I want to tell you how to be saved. I'm going to tell you right now what it takes. He said, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That word cannot there. What does that mean to us? It means cannot. But the word cannot there is dunamai, which means very uncertain. Chances are very slim, not strong enough. But Nicodemus does not understand this simple message. He does not understand Jesus' simplicity. So Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Does he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? So Jesus gets his paintbrush out again and he says, All right, I'm going to make this very simple for you. 
Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, and I'm sure that at that point he felt like he had been taken to school, and he should have been. Because he was complicating the message of Christ. He was painting and putting filters on the cross and saying, well, what does it take, and how difficult is this, and what all am I, do I have to enter into my mother's womb? And be, You're getting this way too complicated. I've made this simple where all men can come to me. I've made a way where children can come to me, and sinners can come to me, and Elders can come to me. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've been going through. He said, you've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That word cannot is separated by one verse from the other one. But it has a totally different meaning because he wanted to make sure it was clear to Nicodemus. This word cannot is you. Which means absolutely negative. No, 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 zero chance. So he was telling Nicodemus, I know you were confused the first time, but the message of my cross is very simple. You've got to be born of the water and of the spirit or you're not going into the kingdom of God. You've got to be baptized in my name. You've got to speak in other tongues and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Or you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. I don't care what the preacher down the road is saying. I don't care what the preacher on the television is saying or the one on the computer screen that you've been listening to. If you're not born of water and of the Spirit, he told Nicodemus, it's not happening. You've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Your children have got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Your family's got to be born of the water and the Spirit. It's the message of the cross. You hear me tonight, children, young people, elders. We have been exposed to the master's peace. We have seen his love. We have felt his love and we have been changed by his love. It transcends generations, cultures, religions, ideologies and theories. The very message we have been taught since we were children is the message we need to declare today. And that is, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Well, you say, well, that seems so simple. We do call it simple, but yet we cannot wrap our minds around it. We cannot adequately explain it. We We cannot make it greater. There is nothing like it in all of the world or in any other world. It's the love of Jesus Christ. That while I was yet a sinner, Christ loved me and he died for me. That's the message our world needs to hear. Is he loves you. Well, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. He loves you. Well, I've been through a whole lot. He loves you. It's a very simple portrait. It's just a cross. It may not seem like much to somebody, but to somebody out there, it means everything. To some
somebody who is yet to experience his blood. That cross is their future. To somebody out there who's never been baptized in Jesus' name. To some of these children in here who have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That cross means everything. It's the only way we're going to be saved. Is if we tell people about Jesus. If we tell them about the cross. If we tell them about his love. That's what the cross means to me. Not while I was perfect. Not while I had it all together. Not once I got my license. Not once I started teaching Sunday school. Not once I started doing a good job teaching Bible studies. No, it was while I was yet a sinner. While I was still a drug addict. While I was still addicted. While I was still going through life's problems. And while I was in the middle of a divorce. And facing all kinds of issues. It was right in the middle of all of that. While I was yet a sinner. He looked down on me and he found enough love and he said oh I'm going to die for you I've had it planned from the very beginning I'm not willing that any should perish I don't care what you've gone through I'm not willing that you perish I love you not while I was perfect not once I had my life figured out no while I was still a mess he loved me and he died for me Acts 2.38 says, And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you. No one is exempt. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is not just for you. But it's for you and to your children and not just your family, not just the people that are in your home, but to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. First Corinthians 1 17 says, for Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the reason He has called me, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death even the death of that cross Colossians 1.20 says and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they see things in earth or things in heaven. Colossians 2 and 10 says, and ye are completely in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision.
circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiving you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Everything that was meant to be wrong against you, all the sin, all the adversity, the Bible says that He took it out of the way. You better be thankful tonight that God took some things out of your way and He nailed it to the cross. He said, I'm not going to let that get to my baby. I'm not going to let that get into that family. I'm not going to let that get in and destroy them. I'm taking it out of the way and I am nailing it to the cross. First Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins... He took my sins and He bore it in His own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. In my many efforts of teaching Sunday school and Bible studies and exhorting and preaching here and elsewhere... I pray that I would understand that I may never preach what some call a masterpiece. But I pray to God that I can translate to someone else the meaning of my master's peace. In all of my efforts, every time I get behind this pulpit, every time I minister to somebody outside of these walls, that while I am sitting here and preparing to explain God to them and explain oneness to them and holiness to them and the cross and the tomb and the empty grave and that He did it because He loved us. That while I'm painting this portrait, while I am getting ready to share it with them, that when I turn this image around, it is not some confused mumbo jumbo that they're sitting at and saying, I, I just don't understand it. You, you put too much there. You, you tried to decorate the cross up too much. I can't even see what you're trying to say. But may I find an altar myself. And I say, God, I want other people to know what I know. I want them to experience this like I have experienced this. And God, I want them to see your cross. I want them to see your blood. I want them to see your price that you paid. God, I want to turn this around and it not be anything other than a cross. That it not be anything other than something that they can look at and say, I, I get it. I understand what you're trying to convey. I understand the Master's peace that you are showing me. And I want to be a part of that. I want that blood applied to my life. I want that blood applied to my family's life. The church 
The church, we have it all figured out, but the world doesn't yet. There is people outside of these walls that have never seen a clear image of the cross. The church they go to has put filters and they've put all these things on the cross to try to make it more appealing. But there are people out there who need a clear image of the cross. They need a clear image of the love of Jesus. They need to know that you still care about the cross. They need to know that you still love the cross and that it is more than two pieces of wood and a few nails. It's everything to you. I pray that I can tell them what he was feeling when he made it, painted that masterpiece with his red blood and somehow created an image white as snow. That he took nails and hammers and thorns and a cross Thieves and soldiers and blood and spears and pain and agony. And in all of that, he somehow made a portrait of love, of joy, of grace, of that mercy they sang about a moment ago, and so much more. He made it so clear that children can understand the message behind it. Jesus loves you. He made it to where someone who has never heard of him before, can immediately walk in and admire the master's peace and know, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Can we all stand across this house tonight? I don't know why. I don't know how he could, but he loves me. He made it evident that it does not matter how young, how old, how good, how bad, how pretty, how ugly, how tall, how short you are. He made a masterpiece with you in mind. Shared this with you before, but the famous painter by the name of Leonardo da Vinci was painting the ever so famous Last Supper when a friend of his came and was admiring This true work of art. The Last Supper. The friend could not stop looking at this picture and this beautiful portrait had taken his breath away. And he noticed this goblet that was on the table, a silver cup. And it was just so stunning. He could not keep his eyes off of this glowing goblet. Da Vinci, in all of his anger, grabbed his paintbrush and completely wiped out that cup, blotting out every piece of it. He was so angry and he looked over at his friend and he said, The focus is supposed to be Jesus, not on something else. And anything that took focus off of Jesus had to be Removed. I read a book recently. A man who had attended several church services. At the close of each service. Of every church. That he had attended. When the preacher was done. They stood up. Prayed. And the preacher dismissed them. The writer said. I sat down and wondered. Whatever happened to altar calls? 
Whatever happened to the preacher trying his very best every time he got behind the pulpit to point somebody to the cross, to point somebody to the altar? What happened to that urgency to say we are in the last days and yet preachers just seem to not even care? They just try to fancy up a word and preach a masterpiece. But they are missing. They are missing something so very important. Every message, every service, every moment in the presence of God should be an opportunity for someone to be led to an altar. In prayer last night, I was so burdened for our children, our young people, every person that comes and sits on these pews. I pray that we would never lose focus of the cross. That we would never lose focus of Jesus. That we never get so distracted that we forget why we are here. That I never get so caught up in other things that I forget. That we have to have people at the altar. We have to tell them about His love. We have to tell them you can come and repent of your sins and walk away from a sinful lifestyle. You can come and be baptized in Jesus' name. It's not only an option, it is a necessity. It's not a matter of personal preference, it is a must. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is a must. Again, 1 Corinthians 2 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know what he was saying? He was saying there's a lot of things that I could tell you about. There's a lot of things we can preach and get excited about and share with the world. But if there is one thing I cannot allow myself to forget, if there is one thing I have made sure is in my mind and in my spirit, it is that it's Jesus Christ. It's all about Him and that He was crucified and He bled on Calvary and He died for you and me and He made a way so that we could be saved. That's the only thing that matters is Jesus. That's the only thing that matters is this portrait of love and grace and mercy. Yes, that's the only thing that matters is the cross of Jesus. I've not come tonight with a masterpiece designed and created by Landon Long. But I come tonight with a message about the cross. A message about God's love. The master's peace. It is a portrait of love. Going back to our scriptures at the beginning, Romans 5. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's what we've got to show the world. That he died for the ungodly. He came for those that were sick. He left the 99 to go find the one. He came and died on the cross so that we could be saved. And I pray that we have not become so calloused.
to that cross. But we would cherish that old rugged cross. And that it's not just a song we sing. It's not just something we hang on the wall. It's not something we wear around our neck. It's not any of that. But it is something that means everything to us. And that when we try to convey the love of God to a dying world, that it would be a simple message. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. It's enough for children to come to the altar and say, Jesus, I need you. And for them to feel the love of Jesus. And all of a sudden something begins to shift them. And they are taken to another place where tears begin to roll down their eyes. Just because they know Jesus loves them. The cross. We walk by this portrait tonight. And we ask, what does this do to me? I pray tonight that it still moves you. I pray tonight that it still causes tears to swell up in your eyes. I pray tonight that it still humbles some and says, God, I don't understand why you did it. I did not deserve your love. God, I did not deserve your grace. God, but I thank you, Lord, for dying on Calvary. I thank you, God, for every drop of blood. I thank you, Lord, that you endured that cross. God, you took nails. You took a crown of thorns. You took a spear. God, you took spit. You took words of slander. God, and you sat there and you said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Lord, may I never try to change the image of your cross. May I never take that cross for granted. God, may I never become so calloused. God, and used to it. God, where it's just like a photo hanging up on the wall in my home. I walk by it every day and it doesn't catch my attention anymore. I don't even notice it anymore. I come into church and I don't even think about the cross. God forbid somebody enter that place. God, I pray every day we wake up saying, God, thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for that portrait you painted with your own blood. Thank you, God, for that peace that we can come to and look at and say, had it not been for Calvary, I would still be lost. I open these altars tonight for somebody who wants to come. You want to admire the cross. You want to take notice of it again. Lord, I thank you for it. Lord, I want to share it with others. God, I want to tell them, Lord, what it means to me. I want to tell them how your blood saved me. How it was poured out over my children. Lord, let it become brand new.